and welcome to EQ's podcast and our Without Boundaries series. Here, we share ideas and practical solutions for how regulated business can make positive change. In this episode, we discuss the responsibilities of businesses when engaging with vulnerable customers to ensure they are treated fairly. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, I'm Stuart Simpson, Head of Equinity Benefactor, our bereavement services and end of life services within Equinity. Um, today I'm joined by Amanda Rochford, our Head of Customer Accessibility and Inclusion. Uh, we're going to talk about the change of customer vulnerability and customer needs um, during the COVID crisis, how that's impacted our customers, our service users, and but also how we've adapted to those changes and how we've supported our um, colleagues through those those changes to help customers and also supported them with their own needs um, to those changes. Morning, Amanda. Um, if I can just hand over to you to introduce yourself, please. Lovely. Thanks, Stuart. So, yeah, as Stuart said, I head up our customer accessibility and inclusion team and I drive the implementation of our vulnerable customer strategy and policy. And we have a key focus on internal awareness and training and working with third parties and clients and trying to improve our experiences for our customers by delivering products and services that are as accessible as possible. Um, and, and Stuart, it's great to have this conversation and, and what a 18, 19 months it has been. It has. It's, um, it's hard to believe that it's 18 or 19 months. Um, the time in some ways has flown, in other ways is, has really dragged. And um, the, the impact on people's lives personally and, and for colleagues and for everybody else, else out there, I'm sure yourself included, Amanda, um, we've all seen different challenges um, during this time. And just thinking thinking that and, and more locally how do do people work through it some of the things that we're, we're seeing out there um in the wider environment we're all aware of um the illness and how that has impacted on people's private lives the lockdown the ability to get out into the environment but then when we think the, the wider financial implications the employment implications there are massive mental health implications that will continue to reverberate uh, not just locally not just at the uk level but worldwide for for a number of years or months if not years to come um, and we think of some of those impacts um, i guess financial resilience is one of those things not just of those people that are particularly vulnerable um, at this, or, or were already vulnerable, financially vulnerable um, at the start of the pandemic, but those people that weren't prepared for the financial shock um, that came from, from the pandemic, those people that were furloughed um, or lost their employment, um, there's stats out there. So around about an additional 3.5 million um, adults identified that they they had low financial resilience during the pandemic, and that's that's a massive figure of people that are in there um, that have been included. You sort of look at the adults, and now guidance and the publications that are out there are showing that there's over 10 million adults in in the UK that are worried about their finances. Overlay that with um, unexpected illness or unexpected loss um, from my own experience of the business that 
that I work in and that I run, um, we've seen large numbers of, of people and increased volume of people passing away and those numbers coming through our business. Um, having to support those people, but those people, the age range of those people, um, the demographics of those people changing um, significantly over the COVID um, period as well, means that more people have experienced unexpected um, life changes or unexpected interactions that move them either into temporary vulnerability or exasperate the, the vulnerabilities that they have and add to those those challenges that they have um, in their everyday life and that they had before COVID. Um, so, so those are coming through things where um, we know that people that may have had illness, the, the ability or the need to lock themselves away or, or go into isolation during the COVID period, that has had significant mental health implications for some of those people, um, which then has a knock-on effect into their daily interactions with their service suppliers, organisations like Equinity, their utilities companies, um, energy suppliers, what do they need to keep going through? Um, also the financial implications of how do they pay their bills, how do they keep um, treating themselves? Um, with, I'm sure we're all aware of the, the increased usage of um, food banks and things over the, the period of COVID. So, um, talking more generally about what's been out there, but Amanda, I know that you work really closely with, with our teams around supporting them and supporting them to support our customers. What, what have we seen particularly across the business? Yeah, and, and it's interesting you talk about the COVID pandemic taking vulnerability to another, another level, and that's exactly what it did. Um, and as you said, there's there's such a high proportion of people now who have experienced vulnerability for the very first time and mainly linked to those financial resilience, mental health issues. And the financial resilience um, element has definitely been caused by income shock um, and that income shock being caused by job losses, redundancy, you know, reduced money because they're on furlough. Um, and we've definitely seen that with our customers and they've been calling us to to ask about trying to potentially reduce their payments on share save schemes for example so you know what would happen if i miss some monthly contributions can i reduce my contributions you know they're wanting to liquidate investments perhaps um so sell shares or draw down from pension funds and we've we've definitely seen a pattern emerging where people are making decisions to sort out the here and now um, because they're having to and not necessarily thinking or be able to be thinking about you know the longer term repercussions of some of the decisions that they're making um, and for some of those customers they're, they're telling us that they need the money there's a real urgency you know they've borrowed off friends and family and they need to pay it back or they need to pay off short-term high interest loans or credit cards you know and and as you've you've alluded to already Stuart there's some some um, you know quite shocking statistics out there and the Money Advice Trust research showed that over 6.2 million adults in Britain, which is around 12%, have had to use credit to pay for just everyday essentials like food and their household bills since the COVID pandemic began. And that over 30% of those have had to do that using very high cost credit products, you know, making their financial situation ultimately um, even worse. 
and then when you lay when you layer um what that looks like onto onto you as an individual then you can only imagine that the the mental health the stress the anxiety um you know how how that builds because of that and the stress and anxiety levels have risen by almost 50% with people over 60 seeing the biggest increase um, and one in five adults believe that they've experienced anxiety for the first time you know and I know personally um, I have I've been in a situation that I've never been in before and and I think not just linked to your own self but how you're thinking about your others your elderly relatives um, you know I have a mum who has COPD and you know panicking all the way through that she might get get the virus and what that would mean and I think you know the anxiety isn't just linked to ourselves it's linked to about how we're feeling about others and then also you know such uncertainty about the economy and your job so wondering you know how long are you going to be able to have your job for is there going to be an impact what do you need to be preparing for you know so so much stress and anxiety and when our customers are calling us with that you know it's so interesting because it can present in so many different ways you know they can be very down and upset or tearful and um, when they're talking or they can be on the opposite end of the spectrum and be really agitated and restless and and cross and you know not really able to listen just you know they need they're in that situation right now they need it to be resolved and they and they're, they're not interested in what you might be saying is you know is is a barrier to that or um you know the speed in which we can we can react so um yeah we've we've definitely seen a massive spectrum and I, I get what you're saying there and on top of that our, our colleagues will be experiencing this all themselves at home so they will be seeing all of those some or be feeling some of those things themselves so having those calls coming to them or, or take you having that interaction can then have a, a multiplying effect for themselves so so I know we'll come back to that and, and some of the things that we do internally to think about, but it is interesting when you talk about um, the impacts that are out there and people considering where to pay, what bills to pay. And there's evidence that um, from a financial side that people choose which bills to pay at which month and which services that they will choose actively not to, to consider paying. So water companies will be the first thing that many people choose not to pay because there is a, a right and um, water companies have to maintain a service so that can't be cut off whereas energy and um, heating and things like that can all be removed um, for non-payment so people do that and or they'll alternate their their payments of one bill one quarter or one month and the, and the next and, and cancel direct debits where they've been regularly paying so that they have longer periods of time to pay those. And then obviously there's the people that have taken up the um, payments and um, mortgage payments. So have canceled their mortgage payments or asked for those those periods. And that, that's grown and continues to, to be a case that's out there in the financial services that people are suffering from those types of things. We talk about all of those things and, and sort of how have we seen that is the, have we seen a, a change of how people choose to interact with us and sort of move from certain channels or um, how, how because of the environment did we need to change some of those things for for people to come back 
how they interact with us or how they choose to interact with us. Yeah, I, um, I think it was interesting right right at the beginning, um, if we go back to March last year when we had the announcement and it was almost like, I don't know, it felt like the, the UK almost paused for 24, 48 hours yeah. after the announcement was made and everything went quiet and even our, you know, even our customers went quiet. But at that time, you know, the, the Aquinity machine certainly didn't go quiet because, <laughs> you know, we knew that, that this was it. We had to change the way we were working. We had to be able to, um, you know, respond to our customers and still deliver services because obviously we make, you know, we do payrolls, we pay pension payments. There's there's things that couldn't stop so you know everything changed then to becoming home working but obviously we were going to be having a reduced service because of that so you know we we, we had our ceo putting on messages on the telephone saying you know just how urgent is your query um that you're ringing us about and could you email us instead um, and we did see a, a huge shift towards people being respectful and considerate and thinking, actually, yes, my, my query isn't for the right now. I can wait for a, an email response. And we did see a big shift towards um, emails. Um, and that has that has now steadily decreased and, and you know, it's gone much, much more back to the calls. But there is um, still still a higher degree of emails than the than there was pre-pandemic so there has been you know there has been that channel shift um and then we also had to consider things weren't um, being able to be done in the same way and you know if we look at bereavement Stuart um obviously there was a huge increase in in deaths and and if you I just it's so hard to imagine those people going through the bereavement process and then having that awful added thing of you know they couldn't be in the hospital with their their loved ones when they were dying they couldn't arrange proper funerals and 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 go through that process and they couldn't get death certificates i mean that we we had to really think about um, what that then meant for the processes coming in. And that was just, you know, one example. And I think there were other ways, weren't there, Stuart, that, you know, we had to think about the way we the way we worked. Yeah, I, I think I, I absolutely agree with you around the, the speed that we, our IT teams, our colleagues all adapted was amazing. It can only be, it's amazing how quick you can do things when you're forced to do uh, make those changes but that's not not just equinity across the whole of the uk every industry near enough just made such sweeping changes within 24 48 hours and the, the tech teams got people up and running um the amount of kit that we were able to give our colleagues to to get them working at home and support people but also on the other side of that that you're absolutely right. The impact on bereaved people, um, and we've seen that firsthand and been involved in wider discussions um, at an industry level. The the impact of not getting a death certificate, the the real proof that's out there, the fact that that isn't digitised when um, things like the power of attorney and the um, document is a digital document that can be served to organisations and there's processes around that um, that the government have put in place. The misunderstanding or just the the awareness of how to work through a bereavement um, in a practical sense was was so much cha more challenging. These they are life events that don't happen very often 
things like moving home, which paused during the period for um, during COVID, a lot of that that slowed down and stopped. And then we saw the spike in uh, people return to house buying that changed changed the impacts with um, places such as HMRC and and people making tax returns and changes there that then impacted on estates and probates applications. So a lot of the change of dynamic from moving to a, a paper-based system, which was all about documentary evidence and organisations taking that documentary evidence to be able to make payments, change accounts, change names on those, was a significant shift or uh, uh, an educational piece for customers around why actually we couldn't do that. We saw um, during the pandemic as well a significant movement around so your point around emails and, and people being more comfortable to email us um, it was greatly appreciated by us as an organization i'm sure that was seen and, and sort of heard it um, um, by customers but what we also saw was a, a demographic change out there around people who um, I know from my personal life, um, the number of Skype calls I would have had with my parents prior to COVID, it was always a, a verbal call and sort of just using phones in the, the old-fashioned way, um, but moving towards video calls so that we all did that. We all, it seemed like the natural thing to do. And, and in an emotional support position in those early days of lockdown, I know that my groups of friends, we got together and regularly had um, Teams calls or um, Skype calls or using different mediums to to do that, whatever way that people stayed in contact. So what that then, we then saw with that and what I've seen across and from speaking to friends, colleagues and sort of the other people in the industry, there was a massive shift in acceptance towards those technologies, moving, moving towards a more digital environment, a greater acceptance that um, using e-coms and communication was something that was there. But I think, as you, as you said, Amanda, there was that initial acceptance of these things. And then speaking to some colleagues, they were, there seemed to be a change of mindset. Um, and it'd be interesting your thoughts in sort of in, in a moment around that mindset of actually customer needs and demands then came back in that a lot of people moved towards um, Amazon to do buy those things that they couldn't buy in the shop. So they were expecting Amazon Prime delivery. Things were ordered there, next day delivery, web chat, things that hadn't been typically used and by demographics of customers that hadn't typically used those opened up in a whole new conversation with our customers and a whole new thought process of how do we interact with them. But where are they also getting their education about our services, our um, support documents? Are they accessible by all means and can, can people get into them? Are they getting advice from trusted environments? During the um, pandemic, we saw uh, an increased level of um, awareness around scams. Um, so the we were all aware, or I'm sure many of us were received the, the text from purporting to be Royal Mail or the post office around deliveries from Amazon, that increased usage of um, Amazon and other online. So the online shopping services um, to 
where people were moving to go and buy their clothes and, and sort of the, those um, accessories that they needed and they couldn't get into the the supermarkets or the, the shops to go and buy that that then scammers quickly became aware of that we saw a the, the Royal Mail um, as I mentioned people coming towards that checking that but then accessing or trying to access the details for payments that then moved into people's trying to access bank accounts um, other frauds around around offering payments um, or loans quick easy access to me, loans and things like that that again with people that weren't financially educated or educate or able to use uh, or had previously used the internet um, to do their day-to-day -day interactions and you contacted organizations through that those scams and the the reporting of those in the press and the media then became something that caused a, a level of distrust with organizations and so when we were trying to contact those individuals what we saw then is or when they were contacting us a level of verification both sides that people debating or whether they they trusted our communications that would be regular communications with them just being um, more wary even uh, um, thinking of uh, currently current environment there's uh, the big changes um, that are going on in the energy and utility sector at the moment so the energy suppliers um, the, the impact that that's having on customers um, the uncertainty that that's bringing to them from a financial perspective but also then from um, the changes that are coming through and, and scammers even jumping on that as a an opportunity to be able to um, take advantage um, personally I've my, my energy supplier has collapsed in the past few weeks and within 24 hours I received a, a text message um, from somebody saying that they could help us find a new energy supplier although the guidance is that you don't do that um, and don't need to uh, that shows how quick um, that fraudsters are able to adapt the systems what they're able to to offer to jump on this and for those that are new to technology new to these and the energy collapse is, is something that's new to all of us just puts a level of um, confusion or concern in that where, where people have then have other things happening in their lives where those messages from the fraudsters come through at a point in time where they may not be thinking fully about that and just interact with it because it seems a normal thing to do and the the messages that come through are very well built so that they look genuine that then puts a level of, of distrust for people as well so older generations interacting with those having a, a level of distrust but also doing things for the first time has put people or has given greater requirements for us to be aware of how people the questions when they contact us make sure that we're answering them to give them the confidence but also then be aware of some of the things and the, the triggers or the conversations that they have are they, they saying that or telling us in a, in a roundabout way that things are happening that, that shouldn't be to them or that they've been targeted in this way and, and we need to be aware of you also then there is the at the same time as the the shift from older generations becoming more reliant on technology and in, in, in a greater um, volume than previously 
you have the younger digital natives um, who would happily have interacted as, with us in these ways prior to the pandemic. It's the, the ways that they're interacting with us is a continuation of their, their behaviours before pandemic. But the difference for them is that they're interacting with services that they wouldn't have had to before. So a larger number of younger people, so up into their 30s, early 40s, having to use the services that our bereavement services provide and actually using that in a way. And, and going back to Amanda's point around obtaining death certificates and going through that, because of the pandemic and the increased people passing away during that, that has that and the age range of those people that have been affected actually bringing that forward and the expectation that services are digitized or available in a way that um, hasn't been before then then has caused a shift in how people interact with us and their expectations and what they need so again that that then I feel my feeling is that as things progressed through the pandemic, we saw a shift from a an understanding to an expectation that things would move quickly and that they would be there. And that or because of the great way that our IT teams were able to get us ready to, to operate in that environment, set an expectation that we could make these changes rapidly. Now, I'm sure we're all aware that some of those things were great. Some of those things were done in a quick way and then over a period of months, we had to then work on them to make sure that they were operating in a way that was consistent and maintained and wasn't done in a way that was causing us internally the pain that, that we went through without customers seeing that. But I think it's it's interesting that there was a, a mindset and a sort of mindset change of very quickly acceptance and the, the warmth that was out there and they're coming together and then that went away as people interacted with different companies in different ways and, and the change of their their expectations. Amanda, with that change of expectations or that change of how people interact with it, what did that look like for our, our colleagues and how did we have to adapt the way that we, we supported our customers? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, that whole be kind thing, that that shift from, you know, everybody was out clapping for the NHS every Thursday and it was all, there was so much positive feeling. And then over time, that kind of gradually dwindled away. And I think when I when I when I look at behaviour, um, you know, the recent petrol crisis that we had, um, yeah. there was so much vitriol on social media about if somebody was seen to be only putting 10 pounds worth of petrol in their car you know that they were just topping up or you know they were doing they were doing it for you know not nice reasons and, and not thinking about that perhaps that person only has 10 pounds a week to put to use for fuel and that's yeah. their weekly fuel amount or the fact that they only they knew they only needed 10 pounds because to do hospital runs and so they didn't want to take any more than they needed but instead of anybody thinking and stopping and thinking about any of the nice reasons that was happening <laughs> um people were were just being on the negative straight away and that's you know that's it's that's really sad to see and I think um, Amazon Prime have got a lot to answer for. I want it now. Uh, that that uh, that that shift for you know moving towards extra digitization, but also that 
I, I demand, I need, I want an immediate answer. You know, I want my delivery tomorrow. I'm not prepared to wait, pay two pounds less and wait 48, 72 hours. It's, um, yeah, it's a real change. And I think the trust aspect, Stuart, is, is fascinating because, you know, trust has to be earned and it's not something that we freely give. And, and I don't know about you, but I certainly don't freely give um, my trust in dealing with companies. You know, I need them to, to event it. And, and it's very difficult. And I think for an organisation like ours as well, when the interactions that we have are so infrequent. Um, so it's just when something, you know, the, the customer wants to do something, it, we're not like a bank with a long term relationship in that way and for, across lots of our products um, so it makes it very difficult and I think the way we we can um, get that trust is by customers having confidence in our people so when they're interacting with us are they getting the confidence that um, our colleagues are doing everything they can to help them um, and We've tried to really help that. We've built a really comprehensive framework um, around vulnerable customers to help our colleagues. Um, we've, we, you know, we've got a dedicated vulnerable customer team, as you've heard at the beginning. Um, we put in place a policy. We've got strategy formed from a detailed maturity model, um, which has been built and cross-referenced against what the FCA expectations are. You know, we have an intranet site full of tools and tips and resources. And, you know, and of course, we've got wonderful, vulnerable customer champions, um, of which you are the sponsor, Stuart, um, you know, and they're key vulnerable customer advocates. And they act as a point of a reference for our colleagues um, who can help them point towards appropriate internal support. So for me, it's about it's it's all about empowering our colleagues. Um, and that empowerment is achieved when colleagues feel confident, you know, in, in their role. Uh, they're able to make suitable adjustments where possible for customers and, you know, and they understand their purpose. And I think our colleagues, you know, they, they, they have to have the skills and capability to recognise and respond, you know, to those vulnerable customer needs. And, and we have that added complexity that they have to understand and respect that no two vulnerable customer calls will ever be the same. Um, and, and arming them with the knowledge, you also have to be able to arm them to be able to make the right decisions, to empower them to make the right decisions or know who to escalate to for assistance in getting the best outcome possible. And, and, and I think there's a real that's important to reference the best outcome possible because we, we can't always do exactly what the customer wants us to do, but we can we can do the best that we can. Um, and, you know, from a training and awareness perspective, we've included um, vulnerable customer training all the way from the start. So from in our induction training, um, we have a session in there. We then have annual refresher, mandatory training modules that supplement. Um, and then we have bespoke mod modules on some of the things we see more of. So some of the things we talked about at the beginning um, on the financial serve, on the financial harm pieces, income shock, mental health. We have a wonderful Dementia Friends program here. So, you know, with the number of people living with dementia in the UK set to rise to over a million by 2025 and 
when you lay on the fact our customer base is a high percentage that are 60 plus, you know, this is something that we, we can't ignore. And we're hugely proud to say that we must have what is God, what must be now close to 700 colleagues now, Stuart, who have attended the dementia awareness sessions and, yeah. you know, registered um, to become dementia friends. And, and being a dementia friend uh, just means understanding the demen um, how dementia affects a person and then making everyday adjustments that helps you, you're not you're not a dementia expert but it just makes you stop and pause and think and think about those you know be kind situations just think something else is happening um you know and, and now the key takeaways that you get from the dementia friends training are so simple and yet if if just by carrying those out it actually they have a positive impact across all of our customers you know and, and it's simple messaging like allowing the people to take their time um try to understand how they might be feeling you know try to empathize with with their situation you know putting the person at ease be friendly smile you know a smile you can hear a smile on the telephone and hopefully on a podcast um consider their feelings and respond to the emotions that they're expressing um, and and being clear, you know, what is it you would like me to do? Have those direct conversations. Don't shy away from that. So yeah, so you know, it, the dementia friends is wonderful um, and, a, and a wonderful piece, a fundamental way to help our um, colleagues interact with customers is is the art of active listening. Um, Listening to reply is the standard way that most people communicate. And, and what that means is that instead of really paying attention to what the other person is saying, you're already thinking about what you want to say in response. And we're all guilty of that so often. Stuart, you're probably doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is a real skill to actively listen. But if if we don't do that, then we have the, the potential to miss those little nuances in the conversation that can indicate that a customer may have some additional needs. You know, and there's a really obvious things when on the phones, if somebody sounds distressed or flustered, you know, they're agitated, they're repeating themselves. Another common one is we see people saying yes to every question, even when it's not appropriate. But there could be little subtle comments made that you miss because you're you're already thinking about how you think you want to respond. And it could be something like, I've just got back from the hospital, my head's spinning with everything right now. You know, my mother always did this for me. There's there's things that you may miss. So giving the customer enough time to describe their query and focusing and hearing each word they say, avoiding the interrupting. Um don't assume that you know what they are going to say because they will then lose their confidence in you. And, and repeating repeating their request back to them as you heard it, you know, I hear that you're saying you'd like to sell your shares, is that correct? You know, asking short questions and, and summarising those critical points um, and actions that may need to may need to be taken from the call. They're all, you know, really key things that build confidence. And then when you have confidence, you have trust. And there's there's so much else out there. So we have some great tools um, that the Royal College of Psychiatrists and Money Advice Trust put together for help when questioning. Um, and they've got some acronyms such as Texas, Bruce and Blake to to help you remember them. And so that and then so that the um, 
customer experience centre, for example, have access to all of those and can really help them structure the conversations. And we've seen some, I think we have seen some real changes in some of the calls we're receiving from our customers. And I think our ability to signpost um, for additional support, so be able to, if we're hearing that they're having significant financial issues or uh, mental health issues, or you know they're, have, they're having even thoughts that are um, even more deeper than that, that you know we can reference and give them the details for MIND or Step Change or Money Advice Trust or the Samaritans. Um, and we're seeing a real, we are seeing a real change as the pandemic has moved on, the impact and the financial impact and then the impact on mental health has increased. And we, we've, you know, to the degree we've recently had to put together a course um, called Customers in Crisis, which we worked on in conjunction with one of our clients. And that's that goes, you know, quite deeply into customers in despair and potentially feeling suicidal and covers off, you know, what we can do for the customer, but also, you know, how how we can support our colleague to be able to deal with what they've you know what what they've heard from the customer because you know it's it's they do take it so personally they feel um everything everything that the customer is is feeling so making sure our colleagues have the most up-to-date information about our customer base and how things are evolving is absolutely key um for, for them as well as our customers and you know, as, as we've already talked about, there's no doubt that the increase in vulnerability impacts our employees as well. And just like trying to identify a vulnerable customer over the telephone, I mean, it's so much harder for our managers to spot, you know, when their colleagues who are now potentially working from home and if they don't have access to a camera, you know, they can't physically see them, you know, how are they making sure they are definitely okay? You know, so it's so important that we're building an environment where they can be open and honest about how they're feeling. And um, last year, just just before we went into lockdown, I attended um, a Tizer conference on vulnerability, and and there was um, a phrase I heard that that has resonated and stuck with me um, ever since. And it was, um, "You can't pour from an empty bucket." Um, and that was all about the fact that, you know, your employees, you need to look after your employees, your your employees need to be in the right place to then be able to help your customers. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, um, Amanda, on that. And it's interesting. I, I was actively listening rather than listening for a response. <laughs> <laughs> that. But um, the, the number of things that you called out there that I know that colleagues have called out that say that they don't just help in the day-to-day -day working environment um, personally um, dementia friends I think it's great not just just in a work environment I know it helps um, and it has helped me understand with with family members and things like that what how what how to help or how to interact with with somebody that early sign of dementia and things like that just some of the the key things that actually um, sort of show that that there is that that process taking place, and and it can significantly help in people's lives. So all of these things that we put in place for our customers, 
actually people are able to take away and work from home. So I think I think it's a great place for us to be. The other thing that you mentioned is around the networks and genuinely believe that from from our business down, um, there's been a, a great support network that's been built, the vulnerable customer community sharing um, things that we're both involved in that, that community. But being able to bring together a group from various disciplines within the organization and let them share their thoughts get advice get some help use that that community as a, a way of um, helping our customers but also helping each other um, and share what we're seeing out there is really really vital um, and other things sort of you mentioned the ability of, of managers to be able to interact with their colleagues on a, that standing by a coffee machine or something to grab a coffee and just having a couple of minutes chat and, and understanding what people are doing at home doesn't come naturally over a Skype call or where you've got to arrange a call and things but um, definitely during the pandemic I know that teams have come together um, more regularly on using um, online uh, capabilities managers putting time aside that Normally, or previously, you may have had a, a weekly um, team meeting or something like that. Daily calls that actually didn't focus too much on the day-to-day -day business as usual interactions. Was actually focused on the well-being of teams and colleagues, um, and gave a voice and an environment for people just to have a chat for 15 minutes. Um, we know that those colleagues that are sat at home on their own and, and during the lockdown had little interaction other than their day-to-day -day life and actually prior to COVID would have the interactions they got in their, their office um, would be the way that they interact with more people and the most people that they see so you bring take that in and, and you're working in a small room where you don't see people on the day-to-day -day. those communications were really key um, also from you mentioned that our CEO's messages on um, to our customers um, on our contact center line had a, a great impact on just how they interacted with us and understanding some of the challenges we were facing, but also regular communications internally. So our internal communications team did a great, great job of keeping us up to date, putting things out there that brought us together. So supporters those those team meetings and quizzes and, and interaction things like that that we could all use but also disseminating information and really timely information from government updates and how, what we were expected to do as colleagues how we should interpret those what that meant for us in our day-to-day -day lives and um, making sure that it was a clear understanding of those across across all of our colleagues as we went forward CEO broadcast so um, our CEO regularly um, having conversations that were updates from him but also open conversations where anybody across the business could ask any question and they were picked up and answered um, and walked through in those and, and that that was really really greatly received I think from a number of our, our colleagues that that interaction just made us feel more of a local community although we're scattered across the uk and across the globe um actually bring it allowing those communications and making us feel like a network and a team just just really helps and i think the other thing that is a, a real um support for our teams is mental health first aiders um, and the network that we created there within our business 
Um, I know that particularly with some of the difficult conversations around bereavement, being able to take that time to go and speak to somebody, have a conversation, seek some help and advice, but often it's just just talking to somebody and going through the, this is what's happened, taking a break, step away and then coming back really, really does help people and, and uh, it adds value um, really across the business and we know that we've got people who we can turn to support to at whatever level we are in the business to go and seek that help and advice if we need to. Um, so all of those things I, I think are, are really great. Um, is there anything that I'd miss that you you would add, Amanda, that um, as a business I think we do well? Yeah, I mean, I think we've got, um, you, you mentioned the mental health first aiders, and I think it's really testament to the, the people we have here that, you know, we actually doubled those that number of mental health first aiders in 2020. You know, yeah. so many people stepped forward at such an uncertain time to, you know, to say, I'm, I'm prepared to be here for others. And I think that's, you know, that's absolutely wonderful. And then, you know, we've obviously got our employee assistance program that, you know, has got superb support. And then, you know, the homeworking hub, you know, things, new things that happen because of um, COVID that but that we've still got and we've seen a real positive impact with and that you know that homeworking hub had all sorts of things well has all sorts of things on there you know for um, parents with children tips where when they were doing all the homeschooling it had lots of lots of things you could where where the websites were to to get the best some of the best topics to to help with their children's homeschooling um, they had recipes for cooking because we all had so much more time as we were locked in um, you know all, lots of different things and and our and our networks did lots of lots of things um, differently so you know we had bed um, bed song recognition classes we had um, salsa salsa lessons and all sorts of different things to to appeal to all sorts of different people and and, and I know we've still got mindfulness sessions run every week um, for 15 minutes in a morning and, I, and I've been you know I've been fortunate enough to be able to dial into some of those and just like just set your week up in a, in a lovely way and um, and I think it's That's great yeah, absolutely. And it's all of those things that um, help support our colleagues. Um, and it's and it's just, you know, it's remembering, remembering we're all human and to treat each other as such. So, yeah, it's going to be very fascinating, Stuart. Um, you know, and I hope I hope if we have this conversation again in a year's time that, you know, we're able to see we're able to talk about having, you know, a decline in vulnerability, um, seeing things improve as opposed to, you know, currently still seeing things slightly increase. So I think it'll be it'll be an interesting conversation again in, in um, another year's time. I think so. But I hope that we're still talking about all the good things that have happened and how they've continued to progress over the that period as well because there has been so many positives that have come out of a really dark and, and period we have to remember those and keep using those and keep, as organizations and as people and as friends and families and things like that keep doing all of the good stuff that's come out of it because there are are some really positive things as well as the really awful things that are happening out there so 
that's awful kind of person. Hope that we were able to <laughs> take those and do that um, going forward rather than we just reset to what our life was before and we get back into to just churning the wheel in a way. Um, let's, let's take those learnings. Um, I think even with the digitization and things, there is such a fast change that maybe we just haven't thought about how we could we can use all of those changes in a really positive way um, and, and do the things that we took a big leap on, just review them um, and see that actually could we take a, a slight step back to take an even bigger step forward with them and, and give greater customer service and support. Um, it's been really, really great speaking to you, Amanda. So um, thank you for your time. And um, I, I know that we'll, we'll speak soon. We speak quite often. So um, great. Thanks for your time this morning. Cheers, Stuart. We hope you enjoyed the latest podcast from our Without Boundaries series. If any of the topics resonated with you today, do get in touch by emailing withoutboundaries at equinity.com or for more information, visit our website, equinity.com and check back soon for more podcasts.